Well, hello everyone and good morning and welcome to another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Thank you for joining me this morning. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to get ready to get into the Word a little bit and look at some information uh, about the Reformation period. But first, uh, before we do that, let's play a little bit of music and get started with a uh, the YLC TV version, Spirit and Truth of the Word of the uh, song, This Means War. So here it comes. And uh, you guys, uh, we just thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. And uh, here we go. A little bit of music. Good morning, Ronnie. Thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning, Brother Roscoe. It's time for Sunday school. Amen. Got my coffee, too. A little bit of raspberry coffee. <laughs> Lorinda, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Amen. Ooh. Make sure you take your allergy meds this morning, too, everybody. Just in case. Amen. Good morning, Arlen and Angie. In there somewhere. Amen. Amen. Time to get going. We're in spiritual warfare, amen? Very obvious. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Amen. time for no matter what the enemy tries to do you have a more powerful response Lord Jesus Christ amen he already has the victory amen People trying to get on this morning, I can tell. Good morning. Amen. Today is June 26th, which means we are very, very close to the 4th of July weekend. This year is flying by at light year speed, as far as I can say. Almost in the third quarter. July starts the third quarter of the year. For those of you who are still working, you know exactly what I mean. For those of you who aren't working or retired, it means less. Hey Nate, <laughs> hey Nate and Marnell, good morning. God bless you. Deb Snyder, good morning. Starting to see people jump on now. That's what the music allows people to do. While everybody takes a big stretch, gets that coffee, gets those Bibles and electronic devices ready to go.
Amen. Amen. Okay, that was terrific. We have to probably cut it right there only because uh, we have to get started with Sunday School. But uh, that was uh, Spirit and Truth, This Means War. And uh, that's a, uh, a song that will really get you going. If, you're, if you need electric shock in the morning, start listening to that thing and you'll, you'll be just fine. Uh, I'll tell you that. Good morning, Charles and Joanna. Uh, God bless you. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. We are going to get into Sunday School, and we're going to go ahead and get into announcements first, because that's the, uh, the th- way we normally do it. We want to make sure that everybody is aware of what's going on today. Today being Sunday, June 26th, so that means it's the fourth Sunday, and so that does mean something for, for those of us who are aware that we have a Zoom Bible study on fourth Sunday, and that will be later today at 5 o'clock Eastern uh, Daylight Time, 2 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. Uh, so we welcome those of you who want to participate in the Bible study this afternoon at 5 o'clock uh, or 2 o'clock, depending upon where you are. And uh, that will be today. Pastor Gus has a message available online immediately following Sunday School. It will be in the Akron Alliance Fellowship Facebook page timeline. The Wedding Supper of the Lamb uh, is the name of the message. And uh, it will be a continuation of the uh, the end times studies he's been doing over the past few months, uh, a couple of months or so. So just be aware of that, but uh, it's a it's a terrific message. Uh, it will be available here again on the timeline after uh, Sunday School concludes. <clears throat> you'll see it right there. And for those of you in Akron, Ohio, you'll see that same message live. And uh, we appreciate you coming out if you're able to. If you're not, that's why we have a full church experience right here online. That's the important point of how we're going to be doing things uh, from here on out. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody understands that we want to we don't want to limit anybody or inhibit anybody from hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. And if it means putting a message online, doing Sunday school online, that's what we'll do. And we'll just keep doing that. Um, please remember your tithes and offerings. We welcome those. We welcome your participation. And, of course, it's because we have a, a building we need to take care of and we need to make sure that things are done as far as utility payments and all that good stuff. Uh, but being that as it may, we also want to make sure that we have something available for a benevolence. If someone comes to our church and needs some assistance, we want to be able to help out if we can. Please remember to mail your tithes and offerings, if you are not in the area, to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. And Jackie, good morning, uh, and uh, welcome. Thanks for being here this morning. Greg Neal, good morning. Uh, we, like I said, more people are jumping on with us, and we appreciate that very much. Um, and we appreciate, the, frankly, the technology. What a wonderful thing we have right now where uh, learning after uh, COVID, uh, well, you say after is still going on, actually, but we still have the ability to see each other, talk to each other, communicate uh, online, which is a wonderful thing. And uh, we praise the Lord for it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. It wasn't for him uh, to provide these opportunities. So that are, those are, the, though, let's use the proper grammar here. Those are the announcements for this morning. <laughs> and we're going to go ahead and get into Sunday school. We are in the subject of the Reformation period. And that's where we, we camped out last week uh, talking uh, about Martin Luther Oh, prayer requests? Oh, sure, Jackie, I can. I'm sorry, my my bride pointed out that you wanted to pray for your dad. We're going to go ahead and pray for your dad right now, and we'll get into Sunday school and pray again. But uh, let's uh, let's pray for Jackie's dad right now. Amen. Father, we uh, just lift up to you Jackie Johnson's father right now. Lord, we um, pray that you will... uh, Provide healing, whatever is necessary for him right now to be able to move forward. Not just uh, physical healing, but spiritual healing where it's needed. We also pray, Lord, that you will give him peace. I pray that you'll give him comfort. And I pray that all those who are on this call right now will also experience your peace as well, too. Uh, In the midst of praying and thinking about uh, Jackie's dad right now, lifting him up to you. 
And I thank you, Lord, for how you indeed will answer prayer. You have indeed answered prayer. You have shown us how you answer prayers. And Lord, we do pray for Jackie Jackie Johnson's dad's well-being right now and that you will take care of him. And we thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We did that. Okay. So we want to make sure that it was done. Uh, and you're not late. You're right on time, Jackie. We appreciate you being here. Amen. That's We haven't started, so we're just going to get started in a little bit here. Um, we're in the Reformation period. We're talking about uh, John Calvin today. We talked about Martin Luther last time. And so John Calvin is now the subject we are going to be covering. And John Calvin is a very, very interesting person to look at during the time of the Reformation. Uh, of course, Martin Luther had his writings. John Calvin had a ton of writings. And he had a ton of commentaries that he did about Scripture. Interestingly enough, I, and somebody will have to do research on this, he did a commentary on just about every single book except Revelation. <laughs> uh, and that's, the, it's, interestingly, is the, the subject that Gus is covering. And Revelation is just one of those books that it's really, really difficult to get your arms around. So I can understand that, that he didn't do one. But because, you know, what, it's just like all of, it, all of us, when we're, when we're in the Word, and even though we may be uh, providing commentaries or interpretations of Scripture or putting forth things that are, uh, people are reading, we're all still learning about Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm, I'm pretty sure John Calvin was in the same development uh, mode that we all are because we know that it's not like you get hit by a lightning bolt and you learn about the, the Lord and everything that you need to know right away. It's, it comes over time. It's a gradual experience. And I believe that all of us have gone through that and all of us will continue to go that. And we're even talking about the people that we refer to as biblical scholars back in the day. I mean, they, they had the same uh, progression, um, inspiration, all these things that were uh, realized when you have the Spirit speaking to you, that these are things that are being revealed to you over time. It doesn't come all at one time. So let's go ahead and get into the subject matter. And what I've, I did, too, if we have time, I think we will have time at the end here, to uh, add in some additional information that John Calvin wrote about Jesus Christ, which I thought was a really important uh, thing for us to take a look at and even look at some of the, of the scriptures that are associated with that. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and look to the Lord once again with a word of prayer to get into today's lesson. Father, I ask that you now prevail with uh, giving us peace and understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit speaks, not the words that I use, but the words that you want me to use, Lord, and, and, and relay to others about this particular study and the lessons that we all can learn from it. We pray now that you just bless us and keep us, Lord, and we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, everybody, we are getting into John Calvin, the Reformation period. And we have to understand that the Reformation period was one of those times where it it's, it should attract the attention of a lot of us who are living today in the Word because if it weren't for the Reformation period, we would not be able to worship the same way we are today. We, we're, we would be doing, it would be all Catholicism, I suppose, unless there was some other way of a breakout. But we wanted to make sure that the, ref, the Reformers were not down completely on the Catholic Church. Let's be clear about that. They did affirm... Uh, the same view of the inspiration of Scripture, because Catholics did indeed hold that down, but we we recognize that there were some things that happened in the Catholic Church where uh, some additional things were done, almost to compete with the reformers. Amen. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you uh, there's a there's a big um, competition right now, for example, between the PGA Golf Tour and the now the new LIV Golf Tour. And so what's the response? The PGA is going to try to do some things to attract and keep people in their tour and not allow people to defect uh, to the other tour. So uh, there's a lot of similarity to what was happening back then with the Reformation period and what happened with uh, uh, the Word of God, where there was a competition that was taking place. And you hate to break it down that way, but that's the simplest way I can think of it. But the Reformers wanted to make sure that what was being provided uh, was not something where there's any 
the most important point that I can think of, that there was no reason for people to be caught up in thinking that their good works were going to get them uh, to heaven. And the Catholic Church was leaning towards that. That's what they were proclaiming, uh, that good works would do it. But in fact, it is no, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ where we have salvation and we trust and believe in him. And that's where it comes from. And so that is a that was a huge tipping point uh, during that time frame. John Calvin was uh, uh, alive from 1509 to 1564. So you see the time period we're referring to. Not that long ago. See, this is the thing we have to keep in mind, too. We get kind of all excited while we're in the year 2022. Well, that's not that long ago. And you know how it is when we talk about what God can do, right? And uh, a thousand years is like one day, and uh, one day like a thousand years. Uh, that's, um, that's how God sees it. So in our time frame, uh, it literally is like a half a day uh, <laughs> compared to what, as far as what God would see. So I'm, I'm kind of being a little silly right now, but that's that's exactly what we're referring to. It's not that long ago when John Calvin was was alive, and so a lot of his writings were well preserved, and and people even commented on what he wrote. So we'll look at that in a little bit more detail as we go. But let's look at what it says. First of all, understand that. The Bible was indeed the infallible and inerrant written word of God. That's what the Reformers were uh, maintaining, not just John Calvin, but uh, Martin, Luther, Martin Luther and others as well, too. Calvin believed the sacred scriptures were the unerring norm for the Christian faith. As such, they deserve the same reverence as God himself, for they originated from the very mouth of God by the dictates of the Holy Spirit. This is true not only of spiritual matters, but also of the historical and scientific teachings of the Bible, um, and the only errors that would would be found in Scripture, which is what all of us have been saying over time, were copyist errors in some manuscripts. But the errors were not in the originals, and that's something that's very clear that people need to understand. There are people out there who really believe that it's not worth following the Bible because the Bible is way too inc inconsistent, but they don't really test that out and they don't really ask the right questions. Is the Bible really inconsistent? And if you look at the totality of the Bible, no, the Bible is not inconsistent. Is the Bible, has the Bible had copying errors? Absolutely, the Bible has had copying errors because we've had human beings involved in looking at interpretation. So no one's denying that. But when it comes down to the, the root amount of the root cause of the Word of God, as far as where it came from in the original manuscripts, it is indeed the Word of God. And that's a matter of faith, and if you don't have faith, you're not going to believe it. I think it comes to a point after a while where it's not our job to convince people of anything, amen? I mean, we, we can tell people that it is the word, a complete word of God. It is God's word that is relevant to people getting saved and salvation. But if a person doesn't want to uh, believe or have faith or trust in those things, that's what we'll have to, we'll have to let them have it where it is. That's it, it, they, they leave them where they are. God has to speak to those people individually, and God has to, and your prayers should be what should be taking place at that point. You pray that per, for that person to be have that information revealed to him. There have been millions of atheists who have come to Christ because people have either prayed for him or God spoke to them and they made a decision to accept Jesus Christ. Uh, C.S. Lewis was at one point an atheist and. Uh, became a strong believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to understand that God is all-powerful. Uh, if we limit, we can't limit God's power. Uh, we can only help assist in God's power by being, what, prayerful for those individuals who doubt. And we, it's not about us convincing anybody. It's not about anybody, anybody here twisting someone's arm. It's not about anybody um, doing anything other than just praying for those people and praying that they uh, hear and receive the truth. So let's look at what John Calvin says about the origin of Scripture and about what, where the words come from. The words are indeed from God. And again, this study is adapted from biblical inerrancy, the historical evidence by Norman Geisler. I wanted to mention that because I forgot to mention it earlier, um, but that's where it's coming from. So the words are from God. The Bible has come down to us from the mouth of God. That's a very simple statement, isn't it? Um, John Calvin had many writings. One of them, this is in the uh, writings of Institutes. Uh, that's his writing. Um, but it comes directly from the Word of God. Another thing that he mentions here is that we owe to Scripture the same reverence which we owe to God. Wow, okay. Because it has proceeded from him alone and has nothing belonging to man mixed with it. 
The law and the prophets are not a doctrine delivered according to the will and pleasure of men, but dictated by the Holy Spirit. And that is a writing from John Urquhart, Inspiration and Accuracy of the Holy Scriptures, writing about what John Calvin said. Our faith in doctrine is not established until we have a perfect conviction that God is its author. Do you believe that Scripture is authored by God? That's a real simple statement. It's a simple question that we all have to address and ask. Hence, the highest proof of Scripture is uniformly taken from the character of him whose word it is. God's character. Amen? Um, If then we would consult most effectually for our consciences and save them from being driven about in a whirl of uncertainty, from wavering and even stumbling at the smallest obstacle, our conviction of the truth of Scripture must be derived from a higher source than human conjectures, judgments, or reasons, namely the secret testimony of the Spirit. Amen. The Spirit has to be the one that guides us and teaches us. And and what he's saying here, John Calvin is saying, we have to resist this thing about conjectures, uh, wavering and uncertainty. Uh, maybe it's a challenge to our faith when we read some passages, right? Um, if there's an obstacle, something that takes a focus off a way of the Lord Jesus Christ that has nothing to do with um, salvation or scripture or anything like that. A lot of us get turned upside down by things and, and believe that um, you know, maybe there's some secret truth hidden in some area of, of scripture. Uh, there's no secrets. Amen? There's no secret truth. God reveals himself to us through his word. We don't need to try to be clever about this. Uh, being clever about this gets you into trouble. Amen? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You, we don't want to do ever do those things. We want to just take the word for at its face value and try to allow the Spirit to speak to us if we need meaning or inter- interpretation about what's being said. That's where, why we are always, when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, when we investigate Scripture, we are prayerful in our investigation. We are looking at what's being written and what's being said and we meditate on it. We, we take the time to think about what we've read, too. Can you read the Bible and, and treat it as a novel? Of course you could, but you lose so much if you just do that alone. There's much more to reading Scripture than just treating it like it's any other book off the shelf in a bookstore. And let's face it, there's a ton of books out there, but I was really happy going to Books a Million yesterday, uh, For those of you locally at Chapel Hill, there's a Books a Million has reopened there, and they had a a ton of Bibles ready for you to go in and walk in and purchase from all different types of of denominations, the different uh, NIV versions, excuse me, NIV, ESV, they're all there. And, And it's just a pleasure to see that because... The word is available for anyone who walks in and wants to get it and see it. And they're all different kinds of prices. They don't have to spend the most money they've ever had to on a Bible. Just get something really simple and something that's easy to read. Try to find one for big print with big print for those of us who need that. But at the end of the day, the Bible's available to anyone and everyone if they choose to look for it, they choose to seek after it. And if they want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying, the testimony of the Spirit If they are not possessed of shameless effrontery, (laughs) they will be compelled to confess that Scripture, the Scripture exhibits clear evidence of its being spoken by God, and consequently of its containing His heavenly doctrine. We shall see a little farther on that the volume of sacred Scripture very far surpasses all other writings. Nay, if we look at it with clear eyes and unbiased judgment, it will forthwith present itself with a divine majesty which will subdue our presumptuous opposition and force us to do it homage. What is he saying there? At the end of the day, if you read Scripture in its entirety, you may or may not, uh, we, you may uh, presume, well, your flesh is going to be automatically opposed to what you're reading. That's, that's the starting point. But after you read it over time and allow the Spirit to work with you, um, prayerfully, he will work with you. And if you don't know the Lord, he'll speak to you. And that it will be something that you'll just have to give it its due, and give it its respect, give it... Um, remember the character of that, uh, the one who gives us of this word, and the character is of Jesus Christ. He has the utmost, the highest character. He loves us. He wants us to know His truth. We don't. There's no secrets. There's no 
passages there where there's a secret code to look for. It's all there right in front of us. And I think what bothers a lot of people about the word is that sometimes it's truth. Um, it, it does indeed cut like a knife. It does indeed um, cut very deeply. And that's something we have to recognize as well, too. And, of course, because it's truth, we have to automatically dismiss any other efforts to try to convey a different truth. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses have a different Bible, um, and there's different passages or scriptures out there or what are deemed to be holy writings that people look to. But there's only one true holy writings, and those are the ones of the Bible, and that's what we, that's what we pay the most attention to, and that's what we give regard to. Here's something else that John Calvin said about the, where the words are from God. The scriptures are the only records in which God has been pleased to consign his truth to perpetual remembrance. The full authority which they ought to possess with the faithful is not recognized unless they are believed to have come from heaven as directly as if God had been heard, giving utterance to them. These words are directly from heaven, the Lord himself. But as the Lord was pleased that doctrines should exist in a clearer and more ample form, the better to satisfy weak consciences, he commanded the prophecies also to be committed to writing and to be held part of his word. To these at the same time were added historical details which are the composition of prophets, but dictated by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke to the prophets, as we had mentioned. They're the ones that recorded God's revealing of himself to us. That is how we know exactly who God is and what his character truly is. In him there is no sin, there is no failure. He is the one who indeed is the one we look to, and he conveys this to us through his word. So we recognize that and understand that very clearly. We do also understand that the word was conveyed through humans, which of course it was. It was conveyed through us because we are the ones... Uh, the humans that wrote down the word that put together the holy scriptures and put them in place and John Calvin writes as I have observed there is this difference between the apostles and their successors they were sure and authentic amanuenses of the holy spirit and therefore their writings are to be regarded as the oracles of God whereas others have no other office than to teach what is delivered and sealed in the holy scriptures so, of course, these apostles, these disciples, these writers, these were people chosen by God to convey this truth to us. And we want to recognize that. It's interesting that the Old Testament is essentially a book of prophecy. A lot of prophecy is embedded within the Old Testament. And it's a prophecy of what? The coming king. Uh, the coming kingdom. The Messiah. The one who would, uh, would indeed come to save his people. And, of course, the New Testament is the story of Jesus Christ and all that followed that uh, once the church was formed. But at the end of the day, it was all conveyed through the writers that we see in Scripture. Uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke. Uh, these are all people who were uh, given this inspiration and conveyed it. The book of John, of course, and, and others. Uh, all the prophets beforehand as well, too, from the Old Testament. The nature of Scripture. It's authoritative. Amen? It has authority. We, we spend time looking at what the Word says because we know it comes from our, the complete authority of the entire universe. For our wisdom ought to consist in embracing with Gentile docility, gentle, excuse me, gentle docility, and without any exceptions, all that is delivered in the sacred scriptures. And, of course, the inerrancy of scriptures in the original manuscripts. Notice we said the original manuscripts. We have mentioned several times, and we this is the thing that always is a hot button for people who want to question Scripture, saying it's inconsistent, but they don't really have an, any true understanding of what the Scripture is. And, and that's something we have to understand, too. Just because someone says something doesn't mean that it's accurate. <laughs> and they could say the same thing about us, too, right? But we, we have to have faith and confidence in what we read and understand through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who does the great convincing. He is the great convincer. He will convince uh, a person who may be doubtful about Scripture by speaking to that person about truth, and, they, and the truth is revealed to them. Um, scripture is the certain and unerring rule. For if we reflect how prone the human mind is to lapse into forgetfulness of God, 
how readily inclined to every kind of error, how bent every now and then on devising new and fictitious religions. It will be easy to understand how necessary it was to make such a depository of doctrine as would secure it from either perishing by the neglect, vanishing away in the, amid the errors, or being corrupted by the presumptuous audacity of men. That's, <laughs> that's a great uh, way to look at this when it comes to how we, we can be always questioning, always questioning what we're reading as truth. But at the end of the day, the Spirit has to convince us and say, this is truth. And, and if the Spirit isn't convincing you, you don't want to be convinced. Amen? You don't want to be convinced. You just want to go ahead and question and say, well, no reason to, to believe what we're reading here. No reason to believe in God. No reason to believe in uh, anything other than what I believe in. And that's a trick of Satan, everybody. You better believe that. That is a trick of Satan. Satan wants to keep a lot of people away from God's word and, and will put all kinds of reasons and excuses uh, in that, those person's head to, to do that. And finally, what uh, John Calvin says here, just in the Persian portion we're going to cover. So, as long as your mind entertains any misgivings as to the certainty of the word of God, its authority will be weak and dubious, or rather will have no authority at all. Nor is it sufficient to believe that God is true and cannot lie or deceive unless you feel firmly persuaded that every word which proceeds from him is sacred, inviolable truth. That is something you have to believe. It really comes down to what you believe, and it really comes down to all the time that you spend in the Word. Is it indeed God's truth that you're reading and understanding? If you don't believe that, then there's really nothing that anyone can do to convince you of that other than God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes you believing. I mentioned this more than once only because I've just seen people... Uh, openly or even make comments on social media that they don't believe in God. They don't uh, believe that God's word is true. They've just chosen to be disbelievers. Now, let me, let me tell you something about how to respond to that. You pray for those individuals. Sometimes it's not about getting on, in, on a fight with somebody on social media about it either because if they've firmly made up their mind that they don't want to believe, you getting into a discussion and say, well, you need to believe. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. That's not going to get it done. You have to pray for those individuals and basically just tell them, look, I appreciate your, what you're sharing. You're being honest about what you believe. I'm going to pray for you, though, that God gives you insight and wisdom to be able to see the truth. Uh, no one should be opposed to you praying for them. <laughs> Amen? Uh, if you really want to get right down to it, praying for someone um, is the best response in many of these cases when someone is so adamant about their position pray for that individual and you tell them that you're praying for them now they may not like that initially or they may not care for it but you know what you they they can't say well i reject that uh, you they can't control what you do you just keep praying for those individuals it, what do we do with individuals in our lives we know that are not believers we what are we doing we're praying for them aren't we because we know we've gone through all kinds of um, we've gone through all kinds of conversations with them and we know that what their stances are at the end of the day you pray for them you pray that God speaks to them and what are you praying that God speaks to them about it's about Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the one that you are speaking uh, praying for those individuals to recognize John Calvin wrote in his commentaries about Jesus Christ we're going to look at some of these things um, that he wrote about Jesus uh, which is really important for us to see in the study too I felt that that was an important aspect of looking at what John Calvin wrote. So let's look at what it says about Jesus Christ. Um, first of all, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. I bet you didn't think I was going to into scripture today, did you? I, you, I always try to. <laughs> I always try to make sure that I'm doing that too. My bride just shaking her head and looking at yep, the ceiling. Sure looking at the ceiling. Uh, but we're going to get into the word now. First Peter chapter three verse twenty one. And he, he mentioned a comment. I'm going to read the passage first, and then we'll, we'll talk about what John Calvin says about it. It says, uh, 1 Peter 3.21, And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's, it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a symbolism to it, of course. 
John Calvin writes that the commentaries contain numerous and weighty statements that we know God in Christ. Calvin says on 1 Peter 3.21, Hence all cogitation on God apart from Christ is an immense abyss which immediately swallows up our whole mind. In another place, speaking of the knowledge of God among the Athenians, he says that the Lord allowed the men of Athens to fall into extreme madness. <laughs> so what he is saying is that this is something that you have to truly see as indeed an opportunity for you that God is showing you what it means to have a clean conscience. The purpose of baptism is that you're being washed, you're being the symbolism of death, burial, and resurrection is being pro proclaimed in baptism. It means you have an understanding about the truth of God and his word. It means that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of salvation. We have to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Uh, he already paid the penalty for our sins. And we see, we see that he, his rising from the dead means that uh, he overcame death for all of us. That is the symbolism that is what we need to understand when we go through this thing called baptism. That's why we don't. That's why we take it very seriously. We don't. Um, I know in the in the it gives the empiricians when you look at scripture where people get saved and they immediately are baptized. Well, we have to understand that that's with the uh, immediate truth that the Holy Spirit is present and that they're indeed doing uh, understanding what they are saved about. But I think we also need to be cautious that, to make sure that people. Uh, have their own time frame of gaining a greater understanding of who Jesus is before they go through the process of baptism. And I think that's what um, John Calvin is saying here, too, is that people have to understand that it's a very, very important process in your Christian development. Um, salvation is the most important part, but we, we recognize that there's still a growing period. Remember I mentioned that earlier about a growing period? Even John Calvin had to go through that as well, too. Take a look at Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And this is what um, uh, John Calvin was referring to when he was talking about the Lord allowed the men of Athens to fall into extreme madness. I kind of cut that off a little bit. I apologize for that. It says in verse 16 of Acts 17, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And he saw that he said that because the people were going their own way. They were looking to their own uh, way of truth. And Calvin equated that to madness because it was the obvious things about God were just being completely overlooked. And people were just building these idols uh, that were being uh, looked upon and, and worshipped, frankly. And, of course, what he's saying here, abyss, labyrinth, madness, where such were words from which came to Calvin's mind when he considered man's knowledge of God apart from Christ. For those who have taken up their cross for the gospel's sake, there is no knowledge of God's goodness except in the knowledge of the crucified and risen Christ. You can look all different kinds of places and try to put forth idols in front of you, but it's not going to do anything to help you understand any more uh, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. That's what we have to recognize here. Do we have idols today? Of course we do. Money, um, power, uh, wealth, if it takes you away from Jesus Christ. Remember, there's nothing wrong with having money, but there is certain, certainly wrong with you making money a god, which is something that some people have done. So we recognize that. Very, uh, It's very important for us to see that. Calvin was as little concerned with the divine essence of Christ as he was with the essence of God in general. It is the divine power and grace of Christ that he finds of decisive importance for the church. He, of course, never denied, he emphatically affirmed the union of divine and human natures in Christ. It's also important for us to see here, too. There is a, there is a union of the divine uh, and the human nature within uh, by the standard of the church fathers, he was orthodox enough, but the words essence or nature belonged to contexts of thought that were not his own. He had no stomach for the kind of metaphysical reflection that is required by the mind's desire to penetrate to God's or Christ's essence. The one thing that's hardest for a lot of us to believe and understand is that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully God at the same time. That's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for us to get our arms around 
And at, at some point we have to say, well, we can't get our arms around it because our human reasoning, our human logic or human understanding will only take the word of the Spirit that this is what indeed was uh, the case with Jesus Christ. He was truly the one who did not sin, who was here on earth. And so that's why we say he was fully God, because we know that God was, is a sinless God. He doesn't sin. And so we recognize that and understand that. And what Jesus did in his humanity, he showed us, though, that you can into, in, indeed, uh, when he says, be holy because I am holy, we are to live that way. and We can live that way. We can choose to live that way. These are all things we choose to do. And so that's what we need to see about this essence of uh, God being fully human and fully God and recognize that he is uh, the one who showed us how we can live by his ministry here on earth. And God is making himself known to us in this manner. Um, we know nothing about Christ's divine nature apart from what he has done and continues to do for us. Amen? He said that the Holy Spirit was coming. He said that he proclaimed that he was going to be coming after he left. And we have the Holy Spirit today that guides us and gives us wisdom. That's why we keep praying for those who don't know the Lord. We keep praying because the Spirit is indeed present. The Spirit is present in our lives. We have the power of the Holy Spirit as we pray to God. He hears and listens to us. And it's because of the fact that we indeed uh, desire fellowship with God, that we are not sinning, we are not doing anything to hinder our prayers. God hears our prayers. He hears what, hears what we are having to say. And that's important for us to see. The main point of Calvin's insistence on the deity of Christ was that he was the agent of our salvation. I love that. Please turn to Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And so Calvin is going to make a comment about this passage. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's a, that's a flashpoint passage, by the way. He existed before anything was created. That puts him right back to that time of complete eternal existence before we read the first words in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 which is our perceived beginning. So that's something that's very important for us to see. Calvin writes on this. He says, he insists that Christ is the image of the invisible God, not only by virtue of his essence, but also as one in whom God makes himself known to us. We know nothing about Christ's divine nature apart from what he has done and continues to do for us. Amen and amen. We can read what scripture says, but we have to see evidence of Jesus Christ here today and that he continues to show himself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that he is indeed supreme over all creation. He is the visible, visible image of the invisible God. That's what we need to understand about why we read these scriptures. He is indeed supreme. John Calvin writes, We knew nothing about Christ's divine nature apart from what he has done and continues to do for us, and he has done and continues to do his work as a human being and our brother. Our brother is our king, and our king is our brother. This is why we, we have these family references in Scripture. We are part of his family because we believe in him. We are indeed held in high esteem because we are children of God. Now, he's using the word brother, but understand that's what's coming from is that we do have a brother relationship with him because we, we, he calls us friend. We call him friend. These are things that we do, and we don't take it lightly. We talk about it because there's a bond. There's a bonded relationship there, too. This situation is stated properly in terms, not of essence, but of God's saving work. Provided we bear in mind with Calvin that the one and same saving work was at once the fathers and the sons by the Spirit. They all had this plan about salvation, the plan of salvation from the very beginning as we understand it. But it's always been the plan based upon everything we know and understand, looking back at Scripture, looking at the fact that Jesus Christ is eternal. He was present even before anything was created 
he indeed is part of the Godhead. He indeed is the one who we look to. And one other point I want to raise here because we're short of time. Uh, Calvin's eloquent comments on the events of Christ's life and death are rec- as recorded in the Gospels are clearly intended to show Christians that they are suffering after their king and participating in his life. Suffering. We have to endure all kinds of stuff today, don't we? Remember the original song, uh, We're in Spiritual Warfare. We are suffering. We suffer daily for Jesus Christ, and we need to recognize that too. Um, and honestly, we, the suffering that we experience in, in this day and time, um, it's, it's there, it's present, we know of it. It can get much worse, and it may get much worse. And I'm prayerful, honestly, that uh, my kids, my grandchildren, don't have to go through the kind of suffering that we read about or hear about um, if we look at Scripture and look further ahead and hear what other people say about it and the different commentaries that are written about it. We, we don't want them to have to suffer. But we have to understand that, look at what Calvin says. Here the deity of Christ in no wise vitiates his authentically human experience of temptation and passion. Calvin pays his tribute to orthodoxy by reminding himself that the Son of God put on humanity and shared our life freely and voluntarily. He came to earth to show us what it is to ultimately suffer, and he suffered for us. And uh, we recognize that he even shows a predilection for the notion that he was God clothed in human flesh. Um, Look at uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41. What he was doing, he's showing us that he was a God of emotion. He's showing us that he was a God that truly did have a heart for the people that uh, he was trying to minister to. It says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Why was he weeping? He was weeping because there were many in Jerusalem who did not believe in him, who did not trust in him. He was weeping over Jerusalem. You know, I think he weeps over Jerusalem today. I really believe that. But he still loves them. He still wants them to be uh, followers, uh, his followers. He loves those people. And I think that we, we understand, too, in this day and time that we live in, We live in a world where there's great suffering. There's a a lot of distractions out there. There are things that are taking place that really do keep people from having a stronger belief in the Lord Jesus. And we need to pray for those individuals as well, too. New believers as well, we pray for them that they understand the importance of all of this. And we understand that God was manifested in the flesh. Take a look at John 1, 1. John 1, 1, John chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, um, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. And so we see that here. And he's basically making proclamation that Jesus Christ is the word. He is the living word. And he was manifested in the flesh. And one other passage, 1 Timothy three sixteen. 1 Timothy three. 16. 1 Timothy 3.16 Manifested in the flesh. That's what John Calvin is saying here. And 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations... He, believed, he was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. So all of this stuff you have to believe, don't you? You have to believe that Jesus indeed is the one who uh, was the one who came to us in the flesh and died on the cross for us to be our eternal sacrifice. Amen. No longer need for blood sacrifices of animals um, as in the Old Testament. He was our one and only true sacrifice. We don't need to do uh, sacrifices of animals. Understand something. There's going to be a place in time or a period of time where in the book of Revelation you'll hear about people going back to the old way of doing things, the Old Testament way of doing things with the sacrifice of, of animals and stuff like that. It's not necessary. It's no longer necessary. So understand that that's the pre- it is a prelude, honestly, for the 
um, the Antichrist, the, the one who uh, comes back. And we have to understand that that's what we are looking at here. That's why it's important for us to look at the totality of Scripture and make sure we understand that just because we see things in there um, that may be contrary to what God is teaching us, he's showing us, frankly, that the nature of man, the human beings, we're going to do what we want to do. <laughs> we're going to do what we feel we need to do to get attention, to be to divert uh, people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we, he was always warning about false teachers. That's why he was always warning about for, false prophets. It's all throughout Scripture to tell us to be wary, to be aware of what's going on. I, I think people need to see that for what it is. God is warning us and telling us that the opposition wants to keep you and me away from Jesus Christ. So always keep that in mind as we look at the truth about Scripture. Amen? We're going to close out with prayer now. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've set aside for us once again to hear your truth. We thank you for John Calvin, and we thank you for how he indeed expresses, expressed the importance of looking to you as truth, uh, the authenticity of your word. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for those people who stood up for the faith on your behalf and represented you in such a manner where, Lord, you're to be glorified. We thank you for all of these teachings. We thank you for these reminders. We thank you, Lord, that we indeed can continue to proclaim your truth as well, too, as we become more familiar with your word, as we read and study your word. Help us, O Lord, in this area and bless us and keep us. Help us to remember to pray for those individuals who do not know you, who need to have a knowledge of you. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in this area. Thank you for girding us up and keeping us strong, helping us to endure each day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. Take care of yourselves. Um, do what's necessary to make sure that you're always prepared to speak about the truth of Jesus Christ. And be prayerful for each other, all of us here online, including Jackie, amen, and Jackie and her father. Thank you so much, God, uh, everybody. Take care of yourselves. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>